Hey humans, how you doing? Susan Ruth here. I want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I've been getting some emails and people reaching out to me on social media and saying really wonderful things and I so very appreciate it. I very appreciate it. I don't even know if that's the correct grammar, but you know what? I don't care if it's not because it's heartfelt and sometimes heartfelt trumps grammar. But don't tell my mom I said that because I don't think she would agree with me. Um, So if you go to iTunes and you listen to Hey Human on the iTunes, please subscribe. Please review. um, Let me know what you think. And uh, also at at heyhumanpodcast.com, you can check out links. I always uh, put up stuff about what the episode is about. I talk about different kinds of humans. I don't talk. I write about different kinds of humans. Not different kinds. I mean, they're all, they're all humans. They do different things. How about that? That's a better way to put it. You can reach out to me if you are so inclined. Uh, the email is susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. And yeah, am I missing one? I think instagram.com slash heyhumanpodcast. I post pictures up there and that good stuff. So enough business. That is out of the way now. I am going to talk about this episode, which was a wonderful episode. I just finished listening to it because I listened to them to edit them. So I get to re revisit everything. And this particular conversation is with Adam Shelby. He was incarcerated for eight years and he is an advocate now and um now that he is out and we met actually through a mutual well, I, don't, I mean friend yeah it, it was adam's teacher in prison uh, harlan peace is my friend and i assume also they are friends now you probably have to maintain some kind of par- uh, parent no teacher student relationship while while the prison thing is happening but outside I assume that they are friends. Adam is a lovely man, uh, funny, articulate, uh, bright as a freaking light bulb. And it was just a delightful conversation. I really had a great time. And he bought me a cup of coffee. So he's also a gentleman. That being said, um, yeah, I don't have anything else to report other than I really enjoyed this episode. I know I say that every time. But it's true every time, and this one is no exception. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Adam Shelby. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. (laughs) He's not wearing a a beaded shirt. That was the blinds. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nobody, if you had to guess what, I I guess I post pictures on the, um, when I do the social media part. So that people know what the people look like that I'm talking to, but they have to use their imagination with outfits. <laughs> Do I get to pick out the picture? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Or... You can send it to me. Awesome. Yeah. Or it could be something that you like. It could be like a picture of a giraffe or something. I like giraffes. Oh, giraffes are cool. I think because I'm so tall. I... We could do a selfie. Mm. We could do a selfie. <laughs> I don't do a lot of selfies. <laughs> I try not to. I got yeah. teenagers, though. So. Oh, you do? Yeah. All your kids. 16 and 14. My son's 16. My oh daughter's my 14. That's so weird. You don't look old enough to have 16. Well, I started when I was like 10, so. 
<laughs> yeah, it's good. Get it out of the way. Yeah, just, just go ahead and knock start. it out of the way. That way, you know, when, you, right. when you're raising them up, you all have the same common interests. You know, well, like, the way I look at it is, like, now, when I settle down and I have, I'm planning on having another baby, yeah. and I have two babysitters, so. Are you, that's smart. I yeah. always say that the kids are good. Once they hit a certain age, they're good for all the housework and yard work. <laughs> And yeah, that. and the, my son, my son was like, "Oh my God, we'll be like eighteen, nineteen years apart. We won't have anything in common." I was like, "Yeah, you will, me." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my eldest brother is thirteen years older than I am. And you guys get along pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, he didn't hate me. I don't hate him, so that's a good start. That's, that is a no, great. He's start. a good guy. He's a really good guy. So <laughs> um, it's funny too because there's three kids in my family, and I'm the baby, and. Um, even though I really didn't know my eldest brother growing up because he was already gone, uh, he moved out of the house when he was, I think, 15 or 16 and went off to do his thing. And um, so I didn't really have an experience of him, but weirdly, I think our personalities are far more similar than my brother that was with me all the time. That's cool. Isn't that interesting? I find yeah. that so fascinating. Well, I mean, because it makes sense because we get most of our, um, the way we act and our identity from our parents, so... Yeah, do you think that's true? Yeah. I always I think about that a lot, that nurture nature thing and because it depends again, on how close you were with your parents, I guess. I mean, yeah, I feel like my brother that it was around and you know and I are so different. It's like we were raised by different creatures. <laughs> you know? We well, it's like right. how we I react, it. I think. It's yeah. all about reaction to what's like how you're being brought up. Yeah, personality. Some people though. embrace, some people buck, some people, you yeah. know, they might, you might take offense to something and hold, hold it in your heart forever. Something that he might not. That's true. Know. Well, he was way shy, and I was the opposite of whatever that is. Never met a stranger, but although I am very shy, I, I really enjoy strangers. Yeah, that makes sense. It's weird, right? I mean, that's a sign of high intelligence. Is it? When you're both, yeah. yeah. You're I always joke that I'm probably a sociopath, but <laughs> <laughs> it's only funny until someone gets killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I see myself in that. Sometimes you know. fun just to say it, yeah. sociopath. Yeah, it's a good word. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I, I've been watching Hannibal lately, and uh, there was a, one of the killers said, well, people don't, haven't used the word sociopath since the 60s. I'm like, I wonder what that's about. So now I have to go research that. Dang it. <laughs> do they? I think they do. Yeah. I, I would think they do, too. A high-functioning yeah. high sociopath. I mean, anyway, I digress. <laughs> it's so good to have you here. <laughs> tell tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm 34. Um, I'm a veteran. Thank you yeah. for your service. Yeah. Um, I'm from Illinois, from a small town called Marion. Um. Although I've lived all over, that's where I claim is my home because I spent most of my um, teenage years there. So I moved around a lot when I was a kid. My uh, a lot of my family's in uh, federal prison. Oh, really? So we moved around wherever they were at. So it's kind of like you know how people are. Pri- or, you mean they're incarcerated? You don't mean they right. work for the prison? They're, no, they're okay. incarcerated. Okay, yeah. So um, you know, some people are army brats. I'm a prison brat. So. so, are they significant members of the family, like close members that are in prison? Um, yes, my father was until I was 11. My father died in prison. Oh, my gosh. Um, then my my grandfather's still in there. He's in Supermax in Florence, Colorado. What's the difference between Max and Supermax? Um, he doesn't have any contact with human beings at all. Whoa, that can't be healthy. No. 
I see. I it's it's. I'm. I'm we're going to digress a lot in this conversation. I'm sure, but yeah, it's fine. You know, the idea of putting somebody in isolation. That I mean, that's torture to me. I, well, I mean, maybe they're murderers or really bad people, but I still don't think that you should take away that. That I mean, that makes people crazy. Isolation makes people. Oh crazy. yeah, especially fourteen years of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's just uh, from my personal belief system. That is wrong. He reads his mail on a screen, so he doesn't even get that much. He has to, you know. It's like. What did he do, or what was he accused um, of? So, uh, him, my father, and my uncle were all involved in a RICO case. So, if you know anything about RICO, it's um, basically they can um, if they can prove that three or more people are doing a crime together, they consider it organized crime. And so the, the statutes for um, sentencing change, and it automatically becomes a life per whatever it is you did. No way. So they got kidnapping, racketeering, and tax evasion charges, three life sentences apiece. For tax evasion, they got a life sentence? Yeah. yeah. That doesn't seem just at all. Well, I mean, that's, how, that's actually how they ended up getting uh, Al Capone and John Gotti. Oh, I, yeah, I they think I life, do remember life. reading about that, that that's generally yeah. how they get some quote-unquote mastermind criminals is they get them on these other kind of crimes. They can't catch them. They couldn't catch them. Basically, they were allegedly moving large amounts of heroin from Sicily to America. Your family? Allegedly, yeah. yeah. And so they, um, you know, they they couldn't catch them doing that, so that's they caught they they pinned other things on them that were probably sketchy but back then it's like people yeah. didn't really care they're just like get the criminals off the street they didn't think like oh they might be innocent or you don't really have enough evidence how can you convict somebody when you back then they just didn't really care has your grandfather tried to appeal the case yeah he's ran he's ran out of appeals yeah um, mostly because he, he he killed a guard whenever he was in prison uh, that probably so, didn't stand well yeah so the um I guess the guard uh, attacked him first or antagonized yeah. him, and he just was like, he's "I got." He, yeah, he's like, "I got life. I don't have to put up with this." You yeah, know? it's a really complicated situation because I know there are corrupt guards. There, I mean, there's just corruption in humanity. Period. So I don't care well, which think, side of the law you're on. There's corruption on either side. I think you. I think you back somebody in a corner um, in any situation. I mean, like. Uh, you seem well-rounded and like a nice person, but if I put you in a room with animals and come back in two weeks, you're going to be an animal. I agree with you completely. So you have to... Lord of the flies. Yeah, you have to adapt or you'll get swallowed up. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. It seems to me that if a prisoner is attacked by a guard, that the guard... First of all, the guard shouldn't be attacking a prisoner or antagonizing him at all, period. Yeah. He's serving his time. He's doing what he's meant to be done, you know, or, you know, his... Oh said, yeah, they. But to do that and then to turn around and, and blame the—that's I mean, a victim, if yeah. you ask me. If it, the even if even if he's in jail for something heinous, if the guard you know started it and and the the prisoner's life was in jeopardy, that's an ex, that's an extreme circumstance that should be looked at. Yes, yeah. But if people in prison aren't considered people anymore. No, your property, yeah. So, you know, I've been reading up on a lot of prisons lately, like in Norway and Scotland and stuff like that. And they have really um, they have really successful um, programs in there because they just treat them like people. Like human beings. And they don't set... When you, here in America, when you go to prison, your pun, that's not just your punishment. Your punishment goes on and on because they find more ways to punish you while you're in there for every little thing. Like your bed's not made, 
you're not going to visit or you know just stuff like that. I'll write you up now. Now you wrote me up. Now my points changed. Now I'm not going to make parole. Now you know. So it's like me not making my bed just affected how how much longer I stay in prison, as opposed to like saying you know making programs that are re- making me come out already part of society. So like um, Norway, for example, they do job training instead of um, making them work for free. They do job. They do job training. Then they pay them, so they have money and they have a skill when they get out. They have Not a set that, skill, and they don't. They don't. Um, they don't reoffend. Yeah, they don't come back. They yeah. don't, they have like a they have like a five percent recidivism rate. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I've been reading up on that as well. Yeah. So well, let's. I mean. Frankly, American prison system is broken, and it hopefully not beyond repair, but it's certainly broken. Maybe I don't. I don't know that I agree with that. I think it's. I think it's not broken at all. I think it's. It's doing exactly what it's designed to do. Oh well, there's a good point. Yeah, it's designed. From my perspective, that's broken, but it's designed to be broken. It's not designed to rehabilitate or help or get get uh, addicts there. You know, sober or. You know, then I was listening to something. I can't remember. Oh, you know what? It was, it was my own podcast. Zach Scal, <laughs> who was on one of my podcasts, he was talking. He does a lot of work inside the prison system. Really great programs. And he said, you know, in America, if you're in jail or in prison, there's a difference. In prison, you're going to pick up more skills that do not benefit society. You yeah. know, those skills, because they're not... On the other side, nobody's going, let's try and make it so you don't ever come back to this place. Well, if I'm making 17 cents an hour and let's say uh, I don't have anybody or I have a long-term sentence, nobody's going to want to send me 50, 100 bucks every month for for 18 years or whatever my sentence is. So at some point, you like you have to you have to make a hustle. You have to learn how to survive. You can't sure. just you can't just be like survive off of twenty dollars a month, twenty five dollars a month. No, because know? they also charge you for things within in the commissary. It costs money to buy things. Oh yeah, and basic human overpriced. Things. Yeah, in the women's prison, they were charging women for tampons. And yeah, things. overpriced too, probably. Yeah, anything you actually need, they they figure out what you need or what everybody's buying. And they'll keep jacking the price up on it. And privatized prison systems incentivizes them to keep prisoners in jail because they make money that way. Yeah. So you you're you came from a family of people who were incarcerated. Yeah, I'm do you fourth, think that, fourth generation. Do you think that led you on your path? Which we haven't discussed yet, but your path being that you were also incarcerated. Yeah, so um, when I got out, I was in the military, as I mentioned before. Um, Thank you for your service, if I didn't say that already. Yeah, yeah, you did. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was my pleasure. Um, So after I got out of there, it's like really hard. I couldn't find a job. Um, It was just, I mean, it it it's not like it is now. Back then, there weren't programs for veterans. There wasn't anything for us when we got out to like help us train, train for a job or anything like that. And so it's like, as I'm going out looking for a job, um, I signed up for school. And as I'm going out and looking for a job, it's like everywhere I went, they're like, "You just you don't have any skills. Like you know how to kill people. That's not that's not a skill we can use here. You know, it's like yeah, unless you're working for Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah. So. Um, some of my, I had been hanging out with some of my friends and uh, that had got out as well a little bit before me. Got, got out of the military, army. yeah. Yeah, out of the military. So uh, some guys from my platoon, and uh, I noticed that they all had money and stuff like that, and I knew something was going on. So 
after a couple months, I approached him and was like, what, what are you guys doing? Like, I need some money. I'm about to lose my house and my car. And so what they were doing, <clears throat> what they were doing is uh, allegedly robbing drug dealers and then taking that, taking that, take, using that money to support their families. So it's like basically untrue. So they were using their skills as military to get Basically what job. we were already doing over there, kicking in doors and, you know. Instead of collecting information, they were collecting money. Which which uh, war did you serve? Um, I was in Afghanistan and Iraq. Operation uh, Iraqi Freedom Operation Operation Enduring Freedom. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so they um, they ended up getting um, busted and did some time. To, I think they each got like a fifteen year sentence in the feds. Um, they didn't. They. I hadn't been around been around them long enough, I guess, to where I got caught up in it, and uh, so um, yeah. So then I, at some point, ended up selling cocaine, and I got caught, and uh, I got an eighteen year sentence. Whoa. I served seven years on on eighteen years. So eighteen years for selling cocaine—that seems excessive. Crack to me. cocaine. Yeah. Is that a? Is there, do they make a? Yes, the state law, the federal laws have changed, but the state laws haven't changed. So that the crack is um, a bigger. It's uh, the sentencing guidelines are higher because crack cocaine is mainly a urban drug. So they they assume if you're black. selling crack, you you're can black. Say black. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, uh, yeah, but uh, you yeah. know, it's, they assume if you're selling crack, you're black. So, so the idea is get all the black people into jail, and therefore right. the, the law stricter. Right. So Michelle, I talked to Michelle Alexander about it. I don't know if you know who she is. She wrote um, new, the New Jim Crow, and uh, she was saying, you know, just like she was saying in her book, she, we were, I was talking to her about um, her saying that me as a white male being in the prison system, I'm just a casualty of war. So. We were talking about that, you know, and I was telling her how before um, I was in the military and during the military, and a lot of the time when I first got out of the military, all I was around were, were black people. So I never really knew that I had white pr privilege until I got out of prison and I was around white people. And then I saw it and they and saw that they know that they have it, you know. So it's like I might say, make a comment like, hey, you better put on your seatbelt and one of my white friends say, oh, I'm white. They're not going to pull me over. So it's like things that I've noticed and like, whereas like I was in a college prison program um, while I was in prison. I was in a college program while I was in prison. Uh, it's a program ran by Tennessee Higher Education Initiative. Um, shout out to Julie Duchin. Um, and... Uh, I don't. I forgot where I was going. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did. There's, I lost a, my... there's a bunny that just hopped by the window, and I made him stop and look at the bunny, so I completely blew his train off the tracks. There. <laughs> you were talking about white privilege, and then oh, and so yeah. I noticed some of my um, black brothers from the program um, when they get out. It's like they don't have the same um, people wanting to help them that I do. You know, so I have all these I have all these pre people, professors and whatnot, and it seems like just everybody wants to help me accomplish whatever it is I'm trying to do. Because where, you're white. Yeah, whereas yeah. them, I can be a poster boy, whereas the black guys, it's almost like they're like, oh, he's probably going back, you know. Yeah. So, which, um, statistically, he is. 
None of them have gone back. Oh, good. That makes have. me happy. Yeah, one of my one of my brothers like has been out for like almost three years now, and he's and, and he's right on the cusp. So within three years, they're they're saying you got you got really high percentage. That of makes going me back. happy because I feel like yeah. a lot of times the prison system is just one giant hanging tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and it can be. Um, you know, many times I could I could have slipped up, or you know. Um, it's it's just you're they own you you know you, they're always on you it's never it never goes away like i get off parole next month and for me it's not a huge milestone i still i know i'm always under their thumb because i'm a felon have you been out? um almost two years okay yeah was it hard to find work um no it wasn't like i said um luckily i had a lot of people wanting to help me mm-hmm I mean, it was hard to adjust to being around people, and uh, I still don't, I, I'm still not adjusted. I'm still not fully adjusted. Um, yeah, it's it's it is it's hard to find um, it's hard to find work, and it's not if that makes sense. Like I had, I ended up having to quit the my first job when I got out um, because it's just too far, and I ride a scooter so. Yeah. Having trouble getting my license, that's another huge problem for guys getting out. It's hard. They, they don't it, give you a driver's license? No, they make it really hard for you to get your license back. Yeah, it's Why pretty, is that? I'm not sure. Huh. Again, making it difficult to get a job if you don't have a car. Right, because most, most jobs require that you have a driver's license and, um, you know, tra- uh, transportation, so... Yeah. So then, uh, but when when I quit my job, then I saw how far, hard it was for me to find another job. So I just kind of had to invent my own job. I just started doing social media stuff, and and uh, luckily I came. Like I said, this came. I just keep coming around across people that just want to help me, and it makes me sad for my brothers, and like makes it motivates me to do well so that I can maybe help them I in some way. I think that's a noble purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you were in the military, and how long did you serve? Five years. Now, it's my understanding that GI stands for government issue, meaning you're really a property of the government as well there. So, there's a strange irony to being in the military and then being in the prison system in that you're still owned in both cases. Were there similarities at all? Oh, yeah, very. Yeah, of course. When, um, you know, you could probably... um, follow somebody through their initial process of getting in the military and follow through follow somebody through initial process of getting in prison and it's very similar Interesting. shave your hair which makes you same samey we want you all to be the same we don't want you to we want you to know as soon as you come in here you're the same you're not different you're all you're not a beautiful individual flower no you're not um so and then you know just the way everything is you know just no talking, hands behind your back. Look at the ground. Don't look at me. Uh, here, here. This is your uniform now. Here, this is your home now. We own you now. You know. And then, obviously, going through some sort of um, initiation. You know, it's like when you go into prison, they're gonna try. They're gonna try you as soon as you walk in. The other uh, inmates are gonna try you as soon as you go in there. So you're gonna fight as soon as you get there. So uh, same with army you may not be in a physical fight you're in a mental fight as soon as you get there they're mentally messing with you the minute you get there so they're very similar very very similar yeah, I, I didn't see. find much difference and you find guys towards the end of their time in the military counting down the days just like in prison t- counting down until they get out or they'll they'll talk to each other like that so, so when do you get out 
Yeah. And just like in prison. So when do you get out? Yeah. So. Do you feel like the skills you learned in the military helped you survive in prison? Because you were in max. Oh, yeah. Were you in maximum some, security? I was not. Um, no. I, I was not. I was in the county um, county jail, but I was not in the prison. Do you no. think there's big differences when you go from one to the other as far as how individual inmates behave and such? Or do you think it's pretty much the same? Oh, no. There's, there's a general set of rules, you know, but... Um, as far as like some prisons, you'll have a little bit more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to like walk around and move around and smoke smoke weed if you smoke weed or do which, do whatever it is that you do. And then some prisons, they're just they're they're on top of it. They're you, any little thing like I said, making your bed wrong, you can be written up for it. And you get so many write ups, you go to the hole or that one write up, they can send you to the hole. They can send you to solitary That's confinement. Solitary, yeah. yeah. So in that sense, I have been to solitary confinement. So. What was that like? I kind of enjoyed it. Just getting <laughs> <rid of> it. <laughs> I, had, I had all my books, and uh, and I got to. I didn't have to listen to yelling and screaming all night and door slamming, and so it's kind of actually peaceful. But you know, how long were you in that the hole for? Um, when I was in the county, I was in the hole for about a year. You were in solitary for a year? Close to a year, yeah. Why? Um, just got into it with a guard when I first came in. And, um, you know, so I just kept telling him, quit putting your hands on me. Quit touching me. You don't have to touch me. I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do. And so then another cop that knew me, he was like, man, he's cool. Just quit messing with him. Quit messing with him. And then he was like, F him. And, like, push me. And then I got into a fight with ah. him. So... Again, that provocation. That yeah, and then he didn't get in trouble. I did. Yeah. And then he'd come to my he'd come to my cell every other day and talk talk junk, you know. And bang on my door, yeah, bang on my door in the middle of the night, wake me up and mess with me. Just he quit after a while, but it was just uh, they turned my turn uh, when I first got in the cell. My light was off, so I said, "We can somebody turn my light on?" And then they came around and do the trays. Can somebody, and he's like, yeah, I'll turn your light on. Then they left my light on for six months. Couldn't get them to turn it off. Now, you got to make up your mind. You want your light on or you want your light off? So finally, I, just, I was like, please just turn my light off. Please, please turn my light off. So they turned it off for the rest of the time I was in there. So about five five more months. Jeez, man. Yeah, so reading books by <laughs> trying to get light from the hallway, reading books. <laughs> Thank God for books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was probably my saving grace in there. You know, that's what kept me going is, um, I guess, coming back to, you know, like, getting this confidence and coming back to, like, this realization, like, wow, I'm really smart. Like, you know, like, so for yeah. me, that that was my, that saved me, that in college. Where did you go to school? Where do I go now? Lipscomb mm-hmm. University. Lipscomb, okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, when I first got out, I was going to uh, <clears throat> Nashville State, and then uh, I applied to Belmont, Vanderbilt, and Lipscomb. I got accepted to all of them, but I decided you. to go to Lipscomb because I just like the culture, and I like that the class sizes are smaller, and it's just more personal. What are you studying? Uh, marketing and fashion merchandising. Oh, that's interesting. What do you want to do with that? I keep going to school. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, so I'm kind of doing what I want to do. Now. I'm doing social media stuff. That's kind of my thing. So um, I'd like to, you know, someday I would like to get into fashion somehow. I think that's, um, I've read a lot about it, and that's just a way to get your foot into the door in the fashion industry because so many people are trying to be uh, designers or, you know, whatever. And so that's a good way to get your foot in the door is be like a buyer or something along those lines. Do you want to design? Yes. Yeah. What do you design? What's your thing? Um, I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm oh, not okay. I'm not designing anything. Yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm taking the steps first. I know, understand. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. I didn't know if like you know you doodle something. And you oh yeah, 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 yeah. I do that. Yeah, mostly women's clothing, children's oh, okay. clothing. So oh. I think I'll probably start with children's clothing. Awesome. Is it hard? Is there any kind of steps you have to take as a as a felon to get into school, or are they pretty much? Oh they, no, no, that's good. no. They um especially. I had somebody at Lipscomb that helped me with the whole process. You know, I was just honest about, you know, honest about everything because yeah. there were like holes in my um, life, in my life that they yeah. were like, what happened? You know, like what happened here? You know, and I was like, well, I was in prison, you know, and they're like, oh, OK, well, you know, that's not a big deal, you know. And then uh, there's a uh, there's a guy, uh, Richard Good. He's a head of the life program at the uh I think it's the women's prison. Then. Yeah, yeah, the, co- the college program at the women's prison. And he helped me a lot. So That's great. Talk yeah. about, um, so I know you because of, this is the first time we've met, but I, I know you because of my friend Harlan Peace, who is a teacher at the prison. And he said that you were one of his favorite students, very bright and, and interesting. And if you were willing to talk to me, he would, you know, make that happen. So thanks, shout out to Harlan. Yeah. Um, talk about the class and what that's all about. Because, you know, I... The program or his class in general? Both, both what they... The program in general and then what that fostered for you to be in that class. Um, so the program, um, I had been on a um, talking fast for 30 days. So I, I was doing fasts where I was not... I, did, I wouldn't say a word. I wouldn't talk at all just because I did it for a week and I saw such a change in myself and the way I saw things. That I was like, I'm gonna do this longer. You mean like a meditation almost, or like? No, I just would not talk. Okay, at all. so it was more of a defiance than a. No, I, I would. I mean, I, I guess would, I describe my, what that means. I did it for a day. I think that um, my grandpa said, used to tell me when I was little that we have two eyes and two ears and one mouth for a reason. So we listen and we watch less than we talk. So. It's good advice. Yeah. So. I just was noticing myself, like, getting caught up in the drama of prison and, like, you know, just, I don't know. I guess I more or less did it just as a way for me to try to observe observe not just myself but everything around me a little bit more, you know. And uh, so I was on the end of that, of a 30-day fast of that, and it's... If if anybody wants to try it, it's, um, it's crazy. You literally you didn't see, speak? No, not one word. Not one word. Did your friends in prison understand what you were doing? Yeah. Okay. They know I'm weird, so. <laughs> I don't think you're weird. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess when I explained it to them, they understood, but they were just like, I couldn't do that. So, yeah. okay, so you're you're fasting for 30 days from speaking. Yeah, my friend, uh, a friend of mine that was in the program, uh, Dylan, I don't know if he wanted me to say his whole name, so. Okay. Um, Dylan, he, um have been like trying to get me to come out come out like kind of come out of my shell for 
that like a year straight I had just been like really quiet and kind of like just meditating on how I wanted my life to be and what kind of man I wanted to be you know because I had when I first got into prison I was just kind of wild and I was just like screw it I'm gonna be here forever I might as well just be an animal you know but then at some point I just got to where I was like this is not who I am it's not who I want to be and uh so he told me, uh, we were working out, and he was like, hey, uh, I want you to come tonight. They're having this thing for a college program, and they're going to start college here. And uh, I I just didn't really think anything about it. I was like, no, nah, they're, they're not going to. For whatever reason, I thought that I wouldn't be able to get in. You know, I was like, I won't pass the test or whatever, you know. We have to take, like, it's called a compass. It's similar to, like, a ACT, you know, it's just. Smaller ACT or whatever. See what your level is. Yeah. So, because um, there's probably a high literacy rate in prison, I would imagine. Super high. Yeah. Very high. Yeah. And they, and I'll touch on that here in a minute. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, <clears throat> so uh, I ended up going. I took the test. I ended up um, passing with flying colors, everything except the math. And uh, I was getting tutored by a friend of mine. Um, so I could pass it the next time it came around. So they still let me in college, but I I couldn't take a math class until I passed the ma- passed the math part of the compass. So another prisoner tutored you in mathematics, right? Okay. Um. So uh, yeah. So then, okay. The reason why I keep making these points is because I think it's very easy to vilify someone that's been to prison for the for the rest of the world who's never been to prison judgment goes flying everywhere yeah so i just want to make these little points like another prisoner tutored you in mathematics these are not these are not horrible people these are human beings at the bottom they may have done they may have made horrible choices they may have done horrible things but you can trace that back to an event or or an upbringing or whatever so it's really important to me to, to make that clarification that these are human beings, people. So, anyway, go on. Sorry. Well, I mean, that's that's the way... I, I mean, I do a lot of speaking engagements, and that's the way I start out every speech, as I say. I want everybody to... Hold on, I always get emotional. No, it's okay. I get <laughs> emotional, too. I'm a, I'm a total crier. <laughs> Seriously. Um, when it comes to this, I am, because I think about them locked up. So, the way, that I, the way I start out every speech, as I say, I want everybody in here to think about their worst moment when you were just like you did something really trashy or you just really did something that you're not proud of think about that worst moment that in your life and now freeze yourself in that moment and now i get to remind you every single day for the rest of your life of that one moment that's prison well that's being a felon i guess you know not even not even prison i mean there's guys that are felons that haven't been to prison but they are in that situation where you're reminded every day. I mean, I think prison maybe leaves a sharper image in your head of what, you know, the what the consequences were of your actions, you know. So you have, like, this thing that's with you all the time, sort of like a PTSD type thing where it's like you can, you can never shake that. You can never shake the feeling or I can never shake, like, looking around as I'm walking or, like, sitting with my back to the wall or, you know, I can never – I can't shake certain things just – or like you know just certain things certain ways that I do things it's like things I can't shake I can't really shake them no matter how hard I try are there is there this is sort of off the path that we were walking down but is is there a high instance of military in the prison system um yes because I mean I think it's growing yeah Yeah, it's growing you train people to be a killer 
and to be an, a you know a, a, a machine and less of a mind. They don't really want free thought. And then you in kick the them out, kick them out on the street, and yeah. don't you know? It's Give like them no skills. that was my family. Now you know, then they just basically cut you off. They don't you know? It's like wow, you know? It's like we just we like fought with each other and had each other's back. And now you don't know me. You know, it's kind of that kind of thing where you're just kind of it's a it's a huge shock, huge shock, shock to your system. Yeah. Okay, so, um, so back to the back to the, the so your friends tutored you in math. You're you're prepared to take the test again, right? So um, the um, next time it comes around, the next semester it comes around, and I pass the math. Um, then um, I end up being the tutor. So I ended up tutoring for the rest of the time I was in there. That's I ended awesome. up <clears throat> going up going. I spent most of my time in the education center in the library. That was where the majority of my time was spent. <clears throat> Luckily, I was in a, um, I was in some different programs, a mental health program and a um, drug program. Um, what do you mean by that? You were in them as in you were seeking help, um, no, they or get, you were no, helping others? No, they they have um, they have these uh, certain programs. So you live in a unit, and all those guys are in the program. And you have classes throughout the day and uh, stuff like that. But, you, have, you may have a job in there. So I would spend most of my time. I, that gave me freedom to be at the library and be in the education center. And so I spent most of my time up there helping guys learn how to read that were trying to get their GED. They put them in GED classes, but they couldn't even read. So they would separate them. And so they had like a slow class. And then they had like a class where you, it was guys that were could actually get their GED. The other class was like, these guys are never getting their GED, you know, that type of thing. And that's that was like the general attitude, and I saw that, so I was like, I want to help. So I went to the teacher and uh, Miss Butler, and I was like, you know, I want to help. I want to help some of these guys learn how to read. And literally, one of the guys that I was helping was like, A, Apple, B, Ball. That type of thing, and I'm not making fun of him. He just, no, I totally get what you're saying. I had to teach him the alphabet first, sure, because he didn't even know the whole alphabet. Then he was like 20, 25, 26 years old. Yeah. So um, I think um, the bigger picture, there's a lot of illiteracy, and probably in the southern states, there's probably even a bigger um, instance of illiteracy. So that's a big issue, and I, I think I wrote, I did, I wrote a paper about it at some point, and. Uh, I included uh, Mr. Pease uh, in one of one of his classes. He had uh, told Harlan? us a story. Yeah. yeah, he had told us a story about um, his dad being good friends with the local judge. His dad talked um, the local judge into offering a class where you read a book and you give a book report in, instead of jail time. So he would give them that option if, say, they were to nonviolent crime. You know, he would say. All right, you can go to jail for 60 days, or you can take this class. And uh, he said, surprisingly, a lot of people took the jail time, but the people that took the class didn't come back. And so it's like, for me, that was powerful. Like, a book can keep you from coming back. You know, it's like, if that doesn't, like, make people wake up and say, well, there's something to this where if we, instead of saying, oh, if we educate them, they might become criminals, well look at it from another stance and say, or better, you know, they're, oh, they're going to be smart criminals now, you know, and instead of saying like, oh, this will empower them to become something more, to become something greater and to feel a part of something bigger than the streets or prison or, 
you know, whatever kind of situation they, they're in, you know, I mean, let's be honest, most people in prison come from poverty, so... Absolutely. It's very easy to look down from an ivory tower at a choice someone makes that doesn't have any opportunity, doesn't have really parenting or, you know, education of any kind. They're throw considered throwaways. They aren't actually throwaways, obviously. They're considered that by those who... Yeah. Are, Judging them from a no, I mean, I think place. I think when you get when, when you get out when I got out, I just had a choice. You know, it's a choice I had to make. It's like, do I go do I go back to where I was to where I was living and go back to this go back to my life, or do I struggle and have nobody or nothing and make a different life for myself? You know. And Did you see the the class you were taking impacting the other students the way it was impacting you? Oh yeah. So um, we have one one of the guys in there. Um, his name's David. Um, he's an OG Rolling Sixty Crip. So at one time he what was over he was over all the Crips in the state. So it's the original gangster. It's a rank. It's a high ranking uh, gang member. And uh, he uh, did what they call he dropped his flag or he he got out of the game. Basically, he just told him. Well, you're allowed to do that. I didn't. Think no, you were he's a, he's OG. You know, so they're not going to kill him. You know, they can't do anything to him, really. He was just like, I'm done. So an OG literally means something that's sort of a founding father. <clears throat> well, they're just oh, the older guys in the gang, and maybe they put in what they call more work. Yeah. You know, so they probably, whatever that means. Um, sure. I don't want to. I, I don't want to. I know, I get it. Yeah, I yeah. don't want to. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to go into detail there. Yeah. Yeah. I think so anyone... they do different things to get rank. Sure. You know, various things to get rank. Yeah. Uh, so he so he was in the class. Yeah, and he he draw he dropped his flag, um, got out of the gang, and uh, me I think I feel like me and him were not patting myself on the back, but I feel like me and him were like the dads of the class, like you know, almost really like I was the mom because everybody would come to me like if they needed help or they hey my hey I need to talk to Miss Duchin or or Doctor Duchin I need to that's the executive director of the program at the time it was just her. And nobody else. So I was like her aide, you know, like I did everything because she couldn't be in there like that. Like she couldn't just be there all day, every day like me. So I ended up being kind of like the mom and him kind of like the dad. Like if people were getting loud and he'd be like, you know, he'd be like, hey, we're trying to learn here. Be quiet. You know, that type of thing. We didn't he didn't really have to do that in Mr. Uh, Harlan P's class because. He, Mr. Pease, he's not playing. He's like, look, we only have X amount of time. Yeah. We need to learn. We need to go over this. He's, a, yeah. he's, he's, a very, he's like a quiet badass. He's very sort of Clint Eastwood yeah. in that way. Yeah. You know? yeah. He has that gaze where you're like, oh, yeah, he's, he's getting mad. Yeah. He's a very bright man. Yeah. yeah. So he only had to do that, I think, with our class one time, and everybody just fell in line. Yeah. Every, we were all, it seemed like that was a special time and a special group of people because... We all wanted to set an example so that the, the the next class could continue, you know, so another cohort could come in. Were you the very first? Yeah, we were uh, the first cohort. So you were the, the founding fathers of of, you, the, of that particular program. program. Yeah. yeah. So, so you almost had that, that burden of success because if you didn't, the program could go away? Yeah. Wow, that's a heavy burden. Yeah, and we all, I mean, we, it was... You war- rose to the challenge. Yeah, it was really. voice, you know, the, the the warden at the time, really good guy, and... Uh, Who's the warden? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a good I can't, guy. <laughs> he's, a really, he's a really good guy. I don't know if he would want me to say that. Oh, okay, so. that's fine, yeah. Really good guy. Um, he... 
he was like a champion for us in That's the program, great. you know, and he was like... That makes me happy, because I, yeah. I do, I kind of diss on the prison system a bit, you know, because I get frustrated by the way people are treated, but, um, and that they aren't given services to make things better when they get out, you know, to give them options. But I'm glad to hear that these programs exist, thank God. I wish there were more of them, but I'm glad to know that they are being implemented. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, like... Um... Uh, the the initiative, Dr. Duchin, they just got a, um, money from the state perpetually, $250,000 a year perpetually. So until, Unless another law is passed saying that they can't give them that much money, that's how much they'll get until the program either goes away or whatever, you know. Sure. Did you have other prisoners come out to and asking about the program? Um, well, I was, you know, I actively recruited certain, you know, recruited people that I saw, um, I saw that you know I saw potential in so actively like hey man when when it's whenever testing comes back around you should try oh man I can't do that like that's what I said and I'm like I'm I'm a straight A student you know it's like I'm I'm teaching the other guy helping the other guys learn so yeah it's like it's always funny to me the the guy who was um, tutoring me his name's Walt uh, Ernest Walter I know he won't care if I say his name so um, he was the guy that was tutoring me. And uh, when he get he get, he does speaking engagements now, he always tells that story about uh, him tutoring me, and then him walking in one day and I'm tutoring a whole class. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. What a wonderful thing. Yeah. Wow. So it's a great opportunity, and I think that um, for me that was like the I don't know how to explain it, the fulcrum or the turning point in my life where it was like I can go this way or I can go that way. You know, and I still have my struggles, you know, since I've been out. It's like... What do you struggle with? Struggle with, um... Struggle, you know, struggle with alcohol. I can't sleep, so my excuse... I guess I could just say it's an excuse to drink. I can't sleep, so I drink to go to sleep. You PTSD, know? And, uh, can't sleep kind of right. thing. Right. Yeah. I'm in therapy. I take... I take, uh... I take antidepressants, and so it's like... I still have my own struggles. I don't want you to think it's like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm all peachy keen. You know, it's like, no, obviously have money struggles. You know, I have to work two jobs just to make up one job. What one job would pay me and go to school and raise my son and raise my daughter from afar. And, you know, so it's like. Are your children actively in your life? <clears throat> oh, yeah. My son lives with me. He's, uh, and my daughter's, uh, my daughter lives in Chattanooga, but we. We talk three or four times a day. She's That's like, great. she's like my mom. <laughs> yeah. Did you eat today? What'd you eat? <laughs> You're not lying to me, are you? That's cute. Yeah. So I call her little mama. So yeah. So so it's still a lot. It's still a lot of struggle, and it's still a lot of like, um, I guess um, it's not so much like society holding me back, and in a lot of instances, it's myself. You know, because I'm afraid to. It's like almost I'm afraid that I'm going to be succeed and then have everything taken from me, you know. So it's like this fear of like, of I hey, I know I can do this. I know I can be this person or I can, I know that I can succeed at this thing and be super successful and um, bring honor to the college program, bring honor to myself and my family, show my kids like that wasn't me. That's not cool. This is who I am. This is cool. School is cool. Being smart is cool, you know. 
Yeah, well, our country is sort of ignoring the fact that being smart is cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's getting a little weird out there. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it's getting super weird. So, um, if that, you don't mind, I, if you would talk about what a, a day in the life of being in, in the prison system, what it's like from sun up to sundown, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, what, well, what was your Well, it's hard for me because... I don't want people to think that my experience is other people's experience. For other, some people, it's way worse than me. You know, it's like I—I I established a name for myself in the beginning and established. Uh, um, I just basically let people know not to ever mess with me. How do you do that in the beginning? Um, I'd, I would, I'd rather not talk about it. But basically, people trying, people trying me and trying to—they mess with you, so you have to. Yeah, trying to see where my heart is, and I showed them where my heart was, right. and they quit messing with me. Yeah, that makes sense. So. But then there's other guys who their entire time in prison, they're being picked on and beat up and whatever. And then there's other guys, you know, where I could have took another route and joined a gang. And then that life is totally different. Like your life, your your life isn't your own in there. Your life is the gang. They tell you what to, to do, where to go, who to hang out with. So there's a microcosm that... Yeah, there's little clusters inside, you know. So you have the Muslims. The Muslims are kind of a gang. They hang out and look out for each other. If you're a Muslim, you don't go anywhere else and ask for anything. Not a stamp, not a soup, nothing. You stay in your community. That's the same with uh, most whites. They won't, they'll stay with whites. Um, Christians stay with Christians, uh, so on and so forth. So I was kind of like, um, there's a, there, there's a um, minority of guys that are just on the fringes. They just... People just leave them alone. You were a fringe guy. Yeah. So I just kind of did my own thing. And everybody, you know, always called me the nerd or the book guy or professor. They'd always call me professor because I would always be reading or, like, something. I'm always reading something or I'm, like, writing. Even before I was in college class, I was, like, I'd write. You know, I had, like, a journal where I was uh, talking to this person and uh, I just waited for me to get my thoughts and feelings out, and like, sure. I didn't have anybody to talk to, so I talked to the paper. Makes sense. You, know? you we and, didn't uh, really get to touch much on the um, the talk fasting, which was so interesting. We talk yeah. about that and actually go further into that because I think <laughs> I think I asked something different, and we went down another path. And, yeah, so I think that um, I, I think that you know, at some point, I realized that I was comfortable with chaos and comfortable with like things being hectic and like. For me, that I was like looked at, you know, I just started looking at it. Um, I've been um, riding with my grandfather. Um, I had to get it; we had to get it approved. It took a long time. It took a part, like two months to get it approved. But you know, riding him and he's telling me stuff like, you know, at the end of the day, all you have is your virtue. They can take everything else from you. This is your grandfather who's incarcerated. Yeah, and he's like, but you have that, you know, and he's like. And he's like, it's in yeah, right? you know, yeah, you know, he's like, I know you're lying to me. I know you're in there wilding out because you're acting crazy. You're in there acting crazy because you're my grandson. He's like, you can't lie to me. I know that you're in there acting crazy. And he said, I want you at, n- at night to start laying when you lay down for 10, 15 minutes. Just think about what kind of man you were that day. What kind of man do you want to be tomorrow? So. That's something I started thinking about, and that's, that brought on, like, um, the talking fast. So I just did it for a half a day, then I did it for a day, then I did it for a week, then I took a few weeks off, and then I was like, I'm going to do it for, like, a month. And you just, you hear, and you see, and it's just, 
it changed your perspective about everything, you know. I just started seeing the way things were, and it was like, it's like in the prison system, it's like everybody's playing some role that they feel like they have to play. The prison, the guards, which I actually met a lot of cool ones, and I'm still friends with a few of them. Um, they they put on a, they have this uniform and they have to act that part, even though that's not really the way they want to act. They they really want to be nice. They really want to be like friends with us and like be nice and and like care about us and like mentor us. Some of them are older, so like they, that's what they really want to do. But they're they're told not to do that, not to have any kind of personal relationship with us, not to look at us as people. That's, I mean, one of the guards told me that's what they told him in training. Don't, these are not people. These are animals. You're there, you're there to babysit and that's it. You're not there to be their friend. You're not there to care about what's going on with them, you know. And lucky I've met some really cool ones. Um, A couple of times I ran into some problems um, and uh, luckily uh, several guards showed up to my rescue and were like, no, he he didn't do that like he had nothing to do with that he's he's a nerd he's not doing he's not into any of that that's that's his sellies or whatever you know whatever the situation was about three different times they came to my to my one time it was the warden you know he walks into them them getting ready to send me to the hole and he walks in and goes let him out wow so i guess i found favor in that i was just me i didn't try to be like some kind of like gangster or like be like whatever you know I I could have done that easily and that I wouldn't that would have got me nowhere I'd have been in the hole you know I'd've, it wouldn't have got me anywhere so I just decided you know during all that it's like seeing all these roles everybody's playing and stuff like that and I kind of just was thinking about what my grandma say about um, just thinking about who I want to be and I just was like I want to be me you know I think it's really beautiful that your grandfather said that stuff to you. And again, the irony of him being incarcerated and without contact of other humans because he's in solitary is, and that's such a gift for you that you were able to, to talk to him. You still communicate with him? And- um, no, I think he, he doesn't want to think about freedom, you know. Sure. So I don't, he doesn't really, he, I've wrote him several times, he won't write me back, so mm-hmm. that's okay. He'll write me when he wants to, but I think he just doesn't, I think writing me reminds him like, I got out and he didn't, you know. Sure. So. And your father passed away in the prison system. Yeah. Did you reconcile with that? Um, what you, what? I mean, like, are you, that's, I imagine that's got to be a very intense thing. Well, I think for me, it's, um, the whole thing is like motivation for me to, um, for my son not to go. That's my biggest fear. And, uh, I carry like this anxiety with me about it everywhere. Like, you know, it's like. He's, he lives with me now, and so it's like, um, I just want to know where he's at and what he's doing all the time, and he doesn't understand that. He thinks I don't trust him. It's not, I'm like, it's not that I don't trust you, it's just that, you know, um, I guess you could call it the sins of the father, you know, um, pass on to the, just keep getting passed on. I want to stop that. I want to stop the cycle and stop my son from from going to prison or being in any trouble that awareness and you just even saying that out loud i think is all the difference in the world yeah because statistically he's going really oh yeah yeah because you've been and your father yeah your father's father yeah because he's it's it's a a, well it's yeah they are a (laughs) motherfucker and, and they're just um you know it's like 
when like me being raised and at the time I was raised, you know, going every weekend to a visiting room, to a prison visiting room. So it's like that became normal. It, it's normalized, and so I'm like, that's not a big deal. Even um, you know, when I got busted, I was like, well, this is part of it. Every just, every once in a while, I'll go to prison, and so it's like a, like instead of me thinking of it as like, wow, this is really messing my life up. I was like, oh, it's just a job hazard. So I'll go to prison every once in a while. And didn't think twice, didn't, when I first in there, just like, didn't even cross my mind that I was going to try to change or anything. It's like, this is who I am. This is the cards I was dealt. You know, I kept saying, this is all I know. This is all I know. This is all I know. And then uh, Dr. Duchin, the executive director of the program, college program one day, overheard me saying that. Um, it was during, it was the first part of um, first our first semester. And, uh. You know, she pulled me aside. She said, well, what were you talking about? You know, and I was like, well, you know, I just kind of feel like I am uh, stuck in this. I don't have a choice. You know, I feel like when I get out, I have to do the same thing. I don't, you're leaving, they're leaving me with no choice. This is all I know. And so she was like, well, don't be a dumbass. Change what you know. You know, and I was like. It's a good motto in life. Yeah, she's like, just change For what you know. Us. Just change what you know. Yeah. You know, if you if you you're sitting there saying, Well, this is all I know, this is just this is just how I was raised, you know and she's like, Well you can change that. That's a behavior or that's a that's something in your head you've been telling yourself for so long and now you're bringing it to fruition. She's like, just change it. Just change what you're... That's a very powerful, simple thing, isn't it? Very simple, yeah. So, wow. you know, I just kind of... Uh, it's. I think I was just hearing stuff that my grandpa was telling me and what pe other people were telling me now, whereas I think before I just never... I never really listened, you know. And uh, something else he, my, my mom's dad used to say is, uh, an empty wagon makes the most noise. And that was another part of my talk fast was like I don't want to be an empty wagon you know I want to I want to be a I want to have depth and character and virtue and you know wow it's amazing it's wonderful yeah. I knew this would be such a great conversation yeah <laughs> I did I just knew it I knew it would be what um if you could get a mess just a, a specific message out there to people about people like you that are have been through the system or are in the system or you know, maybe dispel a, a myth or two, you know. Well, I think, I just think in general, if you, um, well, I mean, you know, like when I do speaking engagements, it's like when I step up there, I've already been talking to people and meeting people beforehand. And then when they call my, whenever they call my name, they're, everybody's like, I see certain people look like, what? I just talked to this guy and he seemed so normal. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Something that, you know, every, some in a couple of my speeches, I've, I've said this, and it's, I'm your brother. I'm your son. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Talk about what it's like to give. You, did you do speaking engagements? Yeah, you know? I do speaking engagements. Um, I've done um, several at Belmont. I've done um, a couple at Vanderbilt. Um, I did one at a huge um, conference for... Um, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it's a conference for... Um, uh, basically um people discussing incarceration in america and there's different panels um some of them might be like uh, a, bo a abolitionist or um, reformist or um, one my panel was about um education inside the prison system and how um, it can transform um 
well, America, you know, so you have this huge population of people that are disenfranchised, and education can change that because, you know, I go if I go to a job job interview and, you know, I say, well, I was in prison and that's it, but I can go now and say, um, I was in prison and um, I have a college degree. Uh, I, have a, I, got, I got my degree while I was in prison, you know, and that changes the whole people's perspective of you, you know. And so, um, anyway, I do. I, I did one like I think I was out like three weeks, and I did that one, and that was pretty nerve wracking. And uh, so, um, just talking about, you know, mo- usually I just talk. I touch on, you know, um, hey, you know, I, I'm 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 your brother. I'm your son. I'm 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 your neighbor. I'm you know. It's like hey, this can that can, it can happen to anybody. You know, it's not. Don't look at it as like you're you're not a part of it. You are a part of it. If you if you stand by and watch these things happening, you're a part of it. You're a part of the problem. You know, and it's like, and if people don't know that there's a problem, it's hard to blame people. You know, and say, oh well, you're just standing by and watching it. Well, if they don't know, people don't know these things are happening or don't know that like like my story, for example. You know, it's like. You could look at, you know, it's like just you're just, most people are just one mistake away of ru- ruining their lives, you know, and being locked up. And uh, so, have you had people come up to you after these lectures and say you just completely changed my whole? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah, okay. so, um, you know, towards you know, I I'll try not to make eye contact while I'm doing the doing while I'm speaking because I don't I get emotional I don't want to start crying especially when it comes to talking about you know oh my brothers that are still locked up in there so to me it's not just <clears throat> brothers in the sense of like just the guys in the program but all those guys in there are my brothers you know those are they're part of the human race they're my brothers and they're my brothers too exactly so um I look I, I'll just try not to make eye contact and then this my this I'll be done with speaking, and I'll look out, and I'll see five, six people every time just bawling, crying, men and women. So it can, I feel like it make it makes an impact in some way, and that, that's what keeps me doing it. And it, I, I actively seek out trying to be involved in some way. You know, it's like I try to get the guys coming out to do the same thing, but most of them are just so wrapped up in their life and like um, just trying to stay afloat you know like working and go to school some of them aren't going to school and that's okay um they got you know they're working and they're not back in prison so that's and they'll tell you you know if you talk to them they'll tell you that they'll tell you that you know yeah i'm not in school but that being in school changed my life made me think of myself different as a person you know self-worth yeah especially an environment that's continually telling you you're not a human being yeah how, how would someone, I'm, I'll put links on, on the heyhumanpodcast.com, but how would someone get a hold of you for a speaking engagement? What's the best way to reach you? Um, a Shelby 40 at iCloud.com. Um, a Shelby. A, yeah, A-S-H-E-L-B-Y 40 at iCloud.com. Okay. And I'll put a link for that as well. And I don't, I mean, I don't, it's not necessarily just even like a, Speaking engagement, I'll, I'll go, you know, I, like I went to a Black Lives Matter um, protest and I just do, I just try to do something. I think if you just sit and watch and you don't do anything, then you're guilty to me, you know. Yeah. You got to do something. 
Do you think if you hadn't had this, if you hadn't ended up in prison, if you hadn't made the choices that you had made, do you think you would have been this involved in humanity? No, I'd be dead. How do you mean? I'd be dead or in prison right now if I hadn't made a change. No, I'm sorry. That's not what I mean. I mean, I feel like prison, going to prison and then you took the class and you, you learned who you were as a human. You did the, the talk fast. You did all this stuff. Do you think you would have found your way to that if you hadn't? I mean, I, I believe all, you, you know, the roads are... No, it's the best thing that happened to me. Going, I mean, in, as sick as it sounds and as twisted as it is, um, you know, the fates the fates have decided or whatever, you know, that I had that had to happen to me in order to be who I am and hopefully um, and now you're make an impact. Yeah. yeah, I just, you know, it's like you said earlier, if I just help, if one person changes their mind about people that are incarcerated or uh, or if I bring awareness to somebody like, wow, I didn't know this was happening inside prisons or, you know, it's like you can't, you can't, you can't hold people captive and, and feed them, uh, the smallest amount of food that you can and the worst kind, the worst kind of food that you could eat that you wouldn't feed your dog and then expect them to act like human beings you know or you, you take somebody that's not you know I wasn't really a criminal you know I wasn't really a criminal but I was put in a position where it's like you take somebody that's probably not that's not a violent criminal, you know. So most people that have drug charges, they're not violent. They're, no, and the people that are buying the drugs are making their own personal choices. Yeah, yeah. So um, then you throw now you throw them in prison, and now now I now I am now I have forced to become an animal. You know, now I am a criminal. You know, and so most guys come out and they're worse and not better. And it's not. I mean. I can't make excuses for him. It's a choice. I made a choice. I understand. Um, but I'm also a white male. I'm not a black. I'm not black. So that makes a huge difference. A, a, most of my most of the black guys um, that I knew in there, they they're just. Uh, that's it. They're that's done. it. That's what they are. They don't have. A, they don't have a choice. There's no hope. And there's not for most of them. I mean, they, yeah, they. I guess you, they could. Tr they could try. To make it, make it, make to change, but it's, they're gonna meet way more obstacles than I am. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So I mean, it's at the end of the day, I can't, I can't, I can't make excuses for them. Um, but I can say that um, the system that they are a part of now, and they're never not a part of that system, is sick, and it's and, and it's a cancer. Yeah, it's sick. Absolutely, it's it's, it's sick. And I mean, come on, let's think. Let's think a hundred years from now. So if a, if uh, one in one hundred Americans is incarcerated or has been incarcerated or that's on some just, type of proba probation, that's a real statistic. One in one hundred. That's amazing. <laughs> Imagine a hundred years from now. Now you have this whole population of people. That hate the government, that are criminal, have been criminalized, have been um, pushed to pushed to the side. Um, you know, you got a lot, a lot of angry people, and you got generations of that, and families in the whole entire neighborhoods where everybody's dad's locked up. So it's just like this, and it's perpetuating. Oh, it's, it's all it's, it's so self fulfilling. It's just sick. I mean, you just. I mean, like, look, I mean, if you think about my story, I have all that. That's all I had to look up to were people in prison or people that were on their way to prison. And so it's like, um, who, who's, who was teaching me how to be a man? You know, other kids, you know, we were teaching each other how to be men. Yeah. So it's like, 
that's that's sick you know it sucks when you have all those fathers and now now increasingly higher numbers of mothers being incarcerated you know so the world is broken i'm not saying I'm not saying people don't make choices i just think that you can uh create a better way of um, rehabilitating them. I agree you with know. you completely. And you know what you call it, you call your system a uh, department of correction, and it's like, so what are you correcting in me? You're saying that I'm, uh, you know, in some way, in some way, in, um, different from everyone else, or um, well, no, and in a bad way. They're and, not correcting anything. Yeah, they're making it worse. Yeah, that was that's what I was coming to. It's like, and you're just not. What are you correcting? You know, you're not. You're not rehabilitating. You're not correcting. You have these programs in place, but they're off. It's all for show, just to get more money from the federal government. Because if they don't have X amount of programs, they don't get money from the government, and so then the money stops. They don't make money. Yeah, it's incentivized to keep people in prison. There's a there's an Annie DeFranco song where she says this is referring to people who are black that are incarcerated. Where she said, you know, lynching is frowned upon. We've moved on to the electric chair. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it doesn't even have to be that. You know, a life sentence is the same thing. It's a death sentence. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, thank <laughs> you for being on the show. Thank I you really so much it. for having me. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Harlem Peas, for uh, hooking us up. Yeah, and uh, again, I'll, I'll put links on the HeyHumanPodcast.com so that if anybody wants more information, they can get it. All right, bye, everybody. Big love.